Okay, I'm going to go. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, I am lucky enough to be recording live at True Digital Park, deep in the center of Bangkok. Today, I'm joined by Michael Smith, a partner at Seed Plus. It's been a while. Michael, how are you doing? Yeah, it's been... I guess over a year. I'm doing great, and uh, I'm envious of the spot you're in. I, I can't wait to go back there and hang out now that it's all finished. I, I saw it under construction, so I'm kind of excited to see it actually in operation. Yeah, so. I mean, I cannot tell you how ambitious it is. And there actually is a little bit of a buzz here when you're walking around. They're constantly having events and stuff. UOB actually has an innovation space here, which brings in SMEs. It's just been really cool, actually. And the glass stairwell's in? No, not yet. But there's a oh, big no, sign there. Yeah, well, there was still a hole. So what do they do? They just put a partition around? They it's like a, a three-story hole, right? Yeah, they put a big box around it on every floor with a big sign that says, glass staircase coming, designed by, I don't forget who. But yeah, I cannot wait for that, actually. Quite late. I, I heard one of the things that just delayed construction in general was that thing. <laughs> It's designed and built by the same people who do the Apple. That's what I was thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Why it's so late, I have no idea. But anyway, yes, that's good. Okay. When I was there, you could fall in the hole. Yikes. I'm going to try not to do that. (laughs) Um, So just for context, again, why don't we remind the listeners what Seed Plus is and just how it's different, right? And how long have you guys been doing this now? It's been a while, yeah? Yeah, it's been over three years, just about. Um, so we're a seed stage venture capital firm based in Singapore. We're only looking out over Southeast Asia. Um, we only do kind of pre-seed and seed stage and usually try to lead the rounds. Um, I guess what's different about us, you know, obviously the ecosystem has grown a lot since we started. So I wouldn't say that we're one of a kind or the, the only, but I would say the focus is really that we're ex-operators, that we're from the region, and our goal is to really help companies after we invest to try to get them to the next stage, which generally, you know, in startup parlance is the next round of funding. So, you know, that's what we're focused on. We've done deals um, across the region, and I would say it's fairly mature at this point. So we're, like you said, we've been around a little bit now. What do you think, because you're deeply involved in this, like on a day-to-day basis, what do you think has changed the most in the past three years? Wow, just the amount of capital, right? right? Like yeah. It, I mean, yeah. So that's that would be the first, and I would say it's dramatic even in the last just year or so. Like if you look at literally every major fund has probably doubled their size. You know, it's almost, you know, if you look at, you know, some of the names and I won't reveal fund sizes, but you can go and look and, you know, if you take all the core Southeast Asian names and just do your homework, a lot of them are on fund three and they literally fund two doubled fund one and fund three is probably doubling fund two. And then some of them have even started their sidebar growth fund. So the amount of capital is, you know, amazing, right? So I think it's a fantastic time to be a founder. Mm -hmm. Maybe even better than the capitalists, right? Because there's so much capital. So I say that's one of the major things that's changed. I think the second thing that's changed is it used to be when you talked of Asia, you were always trying to, or at least some of us were selling Southeast Asia. Like, wow, you should check it out. You should wow, check it out, yeah. Yeah, you know, and surprisingly, even over three or four years ago, right? But, you know, it, that's changed a lot, right? So you have you know, and I, I I look for the signals that maybe some people aren't that I think are changing it, right? If you look at Dyson wanting to set up shop here, if you look at Stripe, who's basically said, hey, this is their fourth core engineering right. center, and, right. and more importantly, actually 
supposedly developing here for here, right. which is typically different than a lot of engineering centers. Like this place is on the map. And of course it emanates from Singapore out, uh, uh, you know, but it's the region, right? And I think the region's suddenly on the map and it's happening. I think you can debate as to which city and which area is happening. And, you know, we can talk about this a little bit because I have my opinions on it. And I think the other thing that's changed that's pretty interesting. Now, I feel bad for the Hong Kong people, but there's a pivot towards Singapore as a place to be your central location. And, and part of that pivot is people getting out of Hong Kong. Um, they used to compete, right? They used to compete. Yeah, not <laughs> We used to talk about a lot when I was at Goldman Sachs, right? Like, where is the sort of Asian financial center? Is it Hong Kong? Is it Singapore when it comes to finance and banking? And it literally went back and forth and back and forth. But I think in this particular world, it's definitely moving to Singapore. And do you think that it's that part of the reason is because of the risk to, with China? Or you just think that Singapore naturally has a better sort of financial system set up? Yeah, so I actually think, and what I've been saying for a while, is I think Singapore knows what they're doing right and and it comes with what they've done to help vc firms it's come for what they've done to even like like look at what they've the changes they made the acra so you can do things electronically like yeah. they have systematically done a lot of things so you have that working in their favor and i think hong kong's kind of a laggard there i'm not saying they're not trying to do stuff but i think they're a laggard uh, but then i think you take the next kind of frame of reference as of late where you see what's happening in hong kong and that's for sure benefiting Singapore. And then I would say the third one, and we've had personal experience with this, doing banking as a startup with your domicile in Hong Kong is much more difficult than Singapore, much more difficult. The, the time it takes to open the account, the KYC things they want, and, and the amount of work where you literally probably got to fly to Hong Kong and stay put for a week to get it done, you do the similar thing in Singapore in literally like two or three days. So, yeah, I think all of these things working together, I think it's no longer even competition. Now, I would say in a few spots of like maybe fintech and a few like if we got into the public markets, I think Hong Kong's winning, right? Like this is where Singapore is a laggard, the SGX. But, you know, all those lenses aside, I think from a startup domicile kind of attraction, it's a no brainer for me at this point, right? Do you also think that there's a change in the types of investments that people are making? It seemed to me that you know, three to five years ago, it was predominantly B2C, and now it feels like it's moving B2B. Is that something that you'd agree with? Or? Yeah, I don't think necessarily one's traded hands for the other. I think it's just all growing. I, I do. There is more appreciation for B2B. Now, maybe that's coming because B2C is somewhat saturated. So you you got to keep looking for where there's empty spots. But um, And I think there's just giants in B2C. You know, globally, that's a problem, right? In the yeah, B2C, yeah, yeah. there's just giants, and, and it's starting to happen around here as well. So I think B2B is a natural place to go. I think deep tech improves. I know if you get engineers or coders on a podcast like this, they'll say, oh, it's, it's, it's never going to rival, whatever. <laughs> we can say that till the cows come home, but you can't disagree that it's improving and you see more and more, you know, I think everything's technical and you can argue about what deep tech really is. But right. uh, so it's all improving to me, which means you keep finding these these empty spots to go in. And then I think, you know, if you go and talk to, like I regularly can sometimes talk to the CEO of Lazada, Pierre, and you know, a very interesting point that he made on one of our last coffees about a month ago was he said, as big as any of us are, and as much work and resources as we're putting into the region, most of the businesses, first-year cities, 
I'm barely scratching the surface of second tier cities, let alone third and fourth tier. So yeah. if you think of e-commerce and all these things, even in B2C, you know, Indonesia's Jakarta or maybe Bandung and, and Philippines is Manila, right? Like this idea that that this stuff is peaked is really what I find kind of silly because right. the other stat you would see if you talk to people that work at like a Facebook or a Google who see the monetization, this place is at a tenth of the monetization of any like developed region. So what they know is not only will they keep growing in uh, raw size, the monetization's barely scratching its surface, and these are already big businesses, right? right. So I, I think the year, you know, the decade of Southeast Asia that we have coming ahead of us is going to be easily as big or bigger than before, maybe minus who knows where all this trade war kind of global stuff lands, because I'm not a prediction kind of a guy. Right. But I'm okay to be here right now, right? <laughs> I don't even know how to respond. I don't even know how to respond to that. I'm okay to be here. Like, I'm so happy that I've made this bet, both personally yeah, yeah. and financially. I agree with you. Right. Yeah. There is a distinction between cities and countries, right? And you said we can talk about that a little bit. I'd love to have your opinion. You're in Singapore. I'm in Bangkok. I can see what's changing here on a daily basis, right? True digital park. I think it's a physical manifestation of an attitude change, right? Like, if we're going to do this, let's get bigger. It kind of reminds me of what is it called? Block 71 in Singapore when that for, yep. when they first kindly said, you know, we're not going to knock that yeah, thing literally down. Literally now it's a whole practical city block. Right. right? So that's the point though, right? But, but once they <laughs> yeah. said, once they said like, because they were going to knock it down in a couple of years, they said, here, take it for free because nobody really cares. And then that whole thing grew up and they were like, uh-oh, let's, let's make this into something. And that was like a change, a secular change in the way they looked at yeah. that whole thing, right? Yeah, but I would argue, so So my view of the world has been, and we've largely followed this from a curve of investing, and it's probably not what other people think, because you'll have some people that say, like, I'm all about Myanmar right now. And, you know, yeah. we, we generally feel like the bulk of the money and capital has been flowing into Singapore and, and probably Indonesia, but sometimes even through Singapore. Um, we think Malaysia is very interesting and always has been, and we keep, you know, so we think these are kind of first-tier cities, and then to be frank, it's been Jakarta, and personally for me, but I, you know, we can debate this because this will get controversial given exactly where you're sitting. That Bangkok's lagging, right? Like it's, and and a lot of people writing about this. I think Paul from Digital Ventures and a few people have kind of correctly said that you know Bangkok is it's not performing, right? Now we can, you know, some stuff we can get into the topic of maybe why, but but I'll kind of go back to why I think, say, Singapore is performing. It's the government, right? The government, you know, from the Block 71 thing to lots of little things that people don't realize. Like you don't have to do an audit as a startup until like 18 months versus the whole one-year thing. They get try to give you some more time. Um, they make a lot of like simpler stuff for you, you know, setting up shop is quick, opening your bank is quick. Now we can get into employment passes and some other problems, but, you know, the government is firmly planted a stake in the ground around tech being a, a leading thing that they're going to do. And I don't think that's the case with some other countries slash cities, even though they say they're doing it. I'm not sure it's completely backed up with the amount of activity that, say, Singapore is doing. And then you can argue with Indonesia and the size of it and what's happening there. And then I think you could argue now, like, what's after that? Is it is it the Philippines, who also has some structural issues, but yet appears to be growing despite them? Um, Vietnam is probably coming into its own now. I think people have been talking about it for a couple of years, but suddenly you see a lot more capital and startups going in there. And you know, one would argue that maybe Thailand's 
number five now in that pecking order, which I think is actually a bummer because it's probably slid back some. Vietnam has a bigger population than Thailand, and they probably have a bit better focus on the one thing I think that is really important in the education system in Thailand is just the lack of a, a focus on speaking English. Yep. And yep. I think everybody knows that's like a structural issue that you basically have Thais teaching Thais English and it's just never going to come out good, right? No. And the best entrepreneurs that I talk to here, when I say to them, what do you think is going to change the game here? They're always saying it's English and it's English. And they're not like, no one's happy to lose their sort of native language, but they understand that the global language of business, and if you're going to do business outside of your country, you have to speak English. It's not yeah. Mandarin, right? It's not yet yeah. at least. Yeah. And I think it's that. I also think there's like, you know, you're, if you're there in Thailand, maybe you're dealing with your own work permits. I mean, I lived in Thailand for enough years to know that I know about the 90 day reporting and all this, you know, and I always, you know, I laugh now because my Singapore stuff is an online check in every five years. Um, <laughs> and I've never stood in line anywhere other than to get to my laptop. So I just kind of like, if you look at the overhead you got to deal with, and I actually know some startups that are kind of multinational that are in Thailand that some of them kind of want to throw in the Thailand towel, to be honest with you. They're, the majority of their revenue is not coming from Thailand anyway. It's just kind of a, a base. So I'm, you know, it's a drum I'm going to keep pounding on. I don't know how to fix it, but I think, you know, we, we've seen it. Like if we take our, you know, we can get the Project Alpha soon. If we talk about Project Alpha, like we kind of know our own stats for people reached and who comes and who follows up. And we only have one year of data. Um, Thailand was the worst, right? It, it had the least attendance, it had the least follow-up, the least amount of people submitting, but yet everybody says they need this stuff. But I think as an ecosystem, it's it's struggling a little bit, and it's it's it needs to be addressed. But I don't know how you can easily do it, right? It's it's some of it's structural, right? Right. So I'll just give you my perspective. I mean, English is just one of the things that I think needs to be and fixed. definitely important, right? Yeah, definitely. It, important. Yeah, definitely. But when I arrived here at the end of 2011 and the beginning of 2012, you know, I became a limited partner in Ardent Capital, and there was an incredible amount of energy and talk and just like movement and everything seemed to be changing and moving and everybody seemed to want to be involved. If you had a hackathon, you know, 500 people showed up. If you even had a little event, 200 more people than could fit in the room showed up. It was actually kind of shocking back in 2012 and 2013. Yeah. And you see this with Texas still to be fair, right? Like it, the large kind of temple events are just massively attended, right? Absolutely. But I, but I wonder how much of that is substance, right? Yeah, we can spend a lot of time talking about how much of tech sauce is substance or not, but I think we should probably leave that for another time. Yeah, but I mean, just the flagship events that can pull in a lot of people, like you're saying. You know, sometimes I've always wondered that the masses translate to actually people doing stuff. I don't think right? so. To be yeah, fair, that's that's what that's what I mean. I, I don't think it does. Right, and I I mean I've been going to these events, you know, all over the region for the past five or six years, and I think it's rare to actually get a deal done there. Or I mean, the networking is great, right? But otherwise. I don't know. I've never, I've never invested in an opportunity that I've met at an event. So well, that's kind of. Yeah, and I think something. it's the same for all of us, right? Yeah. There are always people that it just it it should be seen as for what it is. Maybe learning and networking. It's it's not discovery. No, I don't think so at all. Because when I go there, most of the people that I talk to, unfortunately, not for lack of trying, but are the people that I already know. Anyway. Yeah. And they're all there for the same thing. Yeah, and it's, I think so. that's true for everybody. So let's talk about Project Alpha. I really want to sure. find out more about it, and then I want to go back to the statistics you were talking about. Like, what are you actually measuring? But let's talk about what it is first and then how it works. Yeah, yeah. So I think, 
if we peel back kind of why we did this. So, I mean, I think in some sense, initially everybody says, oh, you want more deal flow. So I'll just go ahead and say, of course, every VC wants more deal flow. That's, that's the name of the game. But uh, it wasn't necessarily a first order thing. So what we saw from doing the rounds and pitch decks coming in and, and just the way we normally worked as a VC is you have a very mature ecosystem in Singapore very fairly mature ecosystem in Malaysia, but nothing on par with Singapore. Probably Indonesia's bumping up against the maturity level there now as well. But what comes in a mature ecosystem is lots of pieces, right? A good angel ecosystem. And yeah. what I mean by yeah, good yeah. is non-predatory, decent paperwork, not asking to be paid back in the next round of funding, stuff like that, right? So, you, you know, so the good ecosystems, you have the angels ecosystem, you have VCs, you have incubators and accelerators, you have corporates, you have all these actors and they've all been competed with enough that what i like to say is they've become mostly good actors which means that the founders have good places to take their deals to at all different stages right and build hopefully great companies right when we looked at thailand when we looked at vietnam when we looked at you know what we would see even in outer parts of malaysia outside of kl is due to the lack of a great ecosystem the even good founders are kind of stuck, right? They don't necessarily have good angels to go to. Uh, they may have even already taken bad angel deals. And what yeah. I mean by that, just to give you an example, where like an angel's giving them 100K and they suddenly own 30% of the company. How about, so, how about 30K and they own 100, 30% yeah, yeah, of the company? Yeah, you see it's it terrible. all, like whatever that round is and they own a third of the company, silly stuff. You see bad paperwork. You, and these people mean well, right? So what we said was, well, you can't possibly go and afford to run an incubator and accelerator in all these places. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, you know, what do people really need? What they need, we kind of distilled it down to, is they need uh, good, good advice or mentors, and that's what we think the speakers are for. And then they need uh, tech help. So that's what we believe Amazon, those credits are for. Because, you know, I think every startup should just get on the cloud, right? And then they need what I kind of think of as mini McKinsey kind of stuff, like strategy help, right? Like, Hey, how best do I do a fundraising? How what's the right instrument? What about my deck? What about you know? So we felt like okay, they're getting that from some people, but a lot of time it's 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 getting something on their cap table as well, right? So what we said was, and you know, and we sat down with Amazon to kind of build this with them. We said, hey, if we can kind of do this together, what we really want to do is just get to these regions, have a great event with some great speakers that we think help people with, hey, we did this, that was good, this was bad, and I'm a local guy from the ecosystem, this has been my experience. So that's kind of that leading indicator of people who have made it and what they've learned from it. Then we're like, hey, you need some help from Amazon, and then you would get help from us. And you know what that would allow you to do is, is basically get all of these things that maybe help you get to the next level, whether or not you took money from us isn't the point, but you would become a better startup through the system, but you didn't give up anything on the cap table. Right. Um, and that's Project Alpha. And, you know, I can, there'll be more PR on this later, um, but I can tell everybody that we've taken a company from one of our cities as a, that was a finalist last year and actually did invest in them. Um, but the interesting thing is some of the other finalists have been invested in by other people. We, you know, it's not unique to us, right? We just want to help these companies. So we did four cities last year. We're doing six this year. So we've added two, that would be Ho Chi Minh and Manila. Um, and it's the same thing, and you know, but we've added some more companies into the mix that you'll get credits from. So it's, it's Amazon primarily, but we've added like Segment, Stripe. So all these pieces that we think that 
you know, you might get these deals through an incubator or accelerator, but you would also be giving them some of your cap table. So, right. so we're giving people a bunch of help and a bunch of stuff. Now, obviously, it's just a couple companies per city, but we think that goes on to help other companies through those companies. So we think all boats will rise and we'll sharpen up the ecosystem. And that's that's the the gist, right? Right. So what was the response like last year? And you mentioned some statistics. It would just be interesting for me to learn, like, what the response was after you leave the city, right? What, how does it perpetuate itself and how does it sort of maintain itself? The way it kind of works is we go in and do the event and, you know, we hope to have packed houses at the events, whether or not you want to, you know, get in the program or not. We don't care because we just try to make it a good tentpole event. Then what we do is we say, hey, from, from a couple of weeks after each city, you can submit your essentially a small deck. That's all we ask for is a small deck about your company and what you're trying to do. And then we'll kind of, boil those down to a few companies and usually we'll come back to the city and meet the finalists in person and then we'll pick a couple per city and then what we do is we mostly remote work with each of those companies both they get assigned an amazon person and then we'll work with them and we'll try to work backwards to for the most part most of these companies would like to go raise their first round of funding so we usually just work backwards from that and say like how can we help you get to that point? There's a product problem. There's a strategy problem. There's a fix your cap table problem, whatever it is. And then what we hope to do is kind of have these people go on and be successful enough that they can shine a light into that specific city to say, look, this is possible. And I didn't necessarily have to raise money to get better. I didn't have to join an official accelerator to get better. Yeah, that's what we hope to do. We only have one year behind us, but you know, I guess what I was trying to say was we, we, we were pretty easy to pack houses in every place but Thailand. <laughs> what does that mean though, right? So like if you go to Jakarta, how many people showed up? Oh my gosh, it was like I think 300 or something. And how many people uh, were here last year? Uh, sub 100 okay. easily. I think it was maybe only 70 or 80. So, And this is not – and this is with advertising, with hitting all the mailing lists and getting a lot of ecosystem people putting the name out. Now, we know necessarily we're not a big brand in Thailand and we're not, we're not, we're okay with that. But what we found was, you know, Malaysia packed, Indonesia packed, we, we did Singapore packed. You know, I think we filled up one of Amazon's big rooms with like a few hundred people. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's you know, Bangkok was you know, down for us across all things, but also in submissions, right? Like, you know, we, so it's, we'll see if it improves this year. I'm not sure. I mean, True's helping us this year more. Um, obviously we're, you know, doing stuff like with you right now is going to help, but we'll see. But what we, the interesting thing is when I put the feelers out to the people that I kind of know and trust in the Bangkok ecosystem, one of the comments I got back from a bunch of people is they basically feel like this is the scene is going down in Thailand over the last year. And did they, did they say, they said, don't be surprised. Well, I think some people are feeling the, you know, there's, it's been getting tougher, I think, on some of the uh, BOI companies, right? So that's where you get your BOI type company, your startups, you get some tax breaks and you get easier ways of getting work permits. I've heard that that's gotten a little bit more difficult. So if you vis-a-vis this versus a Singapore where they keep saying, let's try to make it easier and easier, uh, Thailand has generally over the last year had a bent towards fixing immigration and overstayers and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's affected a little bit of the BOI stuff from what I've heard. Um, the other thing that some people tell me is they, they have a hard time making good revenue in Thailand when they can shift 
what they're doing to other places and it sometimes works better. So some of them see Thailand as just a place to have a team or engineers because it's cheaper, right? Um, but that, as you know, is not going to create a great ecosystem, right? If, if, if the full cycle is not in Thailand, then you're only going to see certain aspects of it, right? Now, I know other companies are doing quite well, right? I know there's the Palmellos of the world and Zilingos, and, and I'm not saying it's, a, it's across the board, but maybe in the early stage, um, I don't think the angel scene's gotten any better from what I can tell. Okay, so here's um, here's my here's my view on a little bit you of You might this. know more, right? You're working on that stuff more than y- me. So. Yeah, here's my view on this. So the BOI has tried really hard to create what they call a smart visa and an entrepreneurial visa and stuff like that, but I don't think they have it yet. They're going to iterate around it. They actually did a lot of work last year trying to fix that and change it, but again, they're doing it within a framework and context that the broader framework still isn't fixed yet. Right. Right. So they do have some restrictions. They're trying, but again, they're bumping up against kind of their own walls. But I won't say that it's necessarily harder than it's ever been, but I won't say it's much easier either. But I can see that they're trying to change it. That's the first thing. I actually think the more important thing is, and you, you alluded to this earlier, and that is at the earliest stages of a startup's life, they need to have really, really good angel investors. That's the sort of top of the funnel for this stuff. And if they're not there... It's never going to happen. So, And I like to make a distinction between capital, like investment capital, and what I call risk capital. Um, sure. And you can call it whatever you want, right? But here's the idea, and that is there's plenty of capital. I asked somebody a couple of days ago, do you think Thailand is a poor country? And they were like, no way. It's not. Some of the people may be, may be poor, right? Because society is kind of bifurcated. But Thailand as a country, it's, it's not poor at all. The only problem is that yep. The angel investors don't understand how the mechanism at that stage of investing works, right? They ask the wrong questions and they want too much control, right? And like you said, I don't think it's because they're operating in bad faith. It's just that that's yeah, they the just way they've built. That's the way they've built their existing business. Yeah. They don't know any better, right? But until yeah. that changes, even if the English language changes, even if the visas get better and all other stuff. It's at that seed stage and at that early stage of investing where things really metastasize and people can actually test things, right? Because an early stage investment is fundamentally an experiment and they don't want you to experiment. They want some kind of guarantee, right? Because in their existing businesses, they have an 8% ROI or a 10% ROI and that's all they want. They can't get that, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and I I think the corporates, you know, there's a lot of CVCs now. I sometimes wonder what some of them are doing, Um, (laughs) you know, because I worked around them and in them and seen some deals flow across them. I, you know, and I think even the really successful ones don't even look for deals in Thailand. Like, like you look at digital ventures, I, I don't know when they did their last Thai deal. I think he does all international deals. Right. So it's, it's interesting. Like I don't, I, I, so I think some of what you're hitting on is definitely part of it. I think the, the English thing is like a nuance. And I think people sometimes don't realize how important it is. And, and one of the, one of the things I notice is that if you take, if you take a company, like, for example, and they're, and they're coming to Project Alpha's one stock home, which is based in Thailand, but I think they've already expanded to Indonesia, and I, I think he has eyes on a third country. If you ever speak with him and meet him, his English is fantastic, right? And, and he has no fear about going into other countries and having meetings and doing stuff. And then one time I was talking, because I, I speak Thai, it's probably waning a bit because I don't live there anymore. And uh, and you know, unfortunately, and I, I spoke with one other startup that we know that's through some friends of mine, and he generally would try to speak to me in Thai, and, and I would do my best, but sometimes like a business conversation, I'm going to get lost. And then I started to push him in English, and then I also started to push him with a startup like, hey, this idea of yours is actually quite you know expandable. Like you know, Thailand's not your only thing, and 
And he basically admitted, he said, you know, due to my English, that's probably not going to be one of the first things I do. And, and so if you take that lens across probably lots of people feeling that way, they've kind of handicapped themselves by saying, hey, my only market's Thailand because that's where I'm comfortable speaking a language. Well, unless you're in some big B2C thing or something that just becomes the number one of all of Thailand, let's admit their market size is always going to be not big enough. Right? This isn't Vietnam. This isn't Indonesia. So you take any Singapore, KL kind of region country, they, they generally have to be multi-country to be a big business, right? Right. So I did two, I did two interviews in the last few weeks with um, gentlemen that are, have started and built companies in Thailand. Um, one of them is called Echo, right? And this kid was educated at Lawrenceville. Yeah, the workplace thing. Yeah. Right? So he was educated in Lawrenceville, you know, which you've heard of. And then he went to Columbia for a couple of years before he dropped out to really focus on this. His English was pristine. And he, his second office was in London. They're opening an office in Austin, Texas, and one in Portugal, I believe. And the dude literally spends his whole life on a plane flying around to those four places. But And I actually said to him when we were talking, like, do you think that having this ability to speak English is, is, you know, is beneficial for you? And he was like, I couldn't do anything that I do today if I couldn't speak English like this. Yeah, they wouldn't be the company they are, right? Like, no way. Just, I mean, you look at they have international investors. They have, like, it just wouldn't be the company that they are. Right. And, and, and I think everybody knows this and everybody's always known this is a problem. But structurally, it's just, you know, we, we could get into politics here. They spend a ton of money on education in Thailand. Sometimes a lot of people will say, well, there's not enough money spent. Actually, if you go look at the charts, I think Thailand spends some of the most money per GDP on education in any Southeast Asian nation. It's just not going towards teaching, right? <laughs> it's it's maybe. ending up somewhere else. Maybe. You know, yeah, Thailand. maybe. Yeah. So I think that's a big one. Um, I don't know what the other stuff is. I mean, in general stats, Thailand's lagging anyway, right? It's not quite growing as much as some other countries. It's It's got some credit issues. So, you know, I'm kind of a Thailand political economic watcher. Um, it's underperforming, right? And I think if, if, if the macro is underperforming, you know, apart from tourism, the, the, the other things that are involved in it, like the startup ecosystem, will also underperform. And I, I think you can't buck the trend. Um, so that's why I think, you know, we keep trying with Project Alpha, and, I, and I'm very excited about True Digital Park. I, I'm one of the proponents, defenders of it. I know there's some so naysayers out there, but somebody's got to do something. And I think if it takes one of the big corporates to do it, then so be it, right? It'll take years for it to work, but that's okay. I I'm a, I'm a much admire their tenacity and their, their goals here, right? Apart from the glass stairwell, they'll, they have amazing plans, right? I think you're right. Um, Just teasing. I think, I'm sure the thing's going to look amazing. It's going to be insane. I mean, the rest of this place, like we said, I don't know if we said this online or offline, but ambitious is the word that I keep attaching to it. And I kind yeah. of agree with you. Like, this is going to take time, but... Yeah. I am committed to doing what I can, and I mean that seriously, actually, to making sure that in five years it's in a better place than it is today. And a lot of the stuff that I do around the conversations that I have and the sort of business that I run is made to make sure that people are actually aware of what's going on here. You know because you've lived here and you live in the region, but I talk to people outside of the region. They have no idea what's going on here. Yeah, and, and I've always felt like Thailand is one of these under... It's just not punching above its weight. No, it's not. It's, un it's, untap it's untapped potential. Yeah. It's untapped, but there's some structural issues. So it's untapped, but I, uh, you know, I'm, and that's where we, you know, we'll keep at Project Alpha. We'll support True Digital Park. And, you know, it's, it's, it can get better. And we know that it can. And we know that there's lots of, you know, stats that point to like consumption and mobile. And, you know, I always love, you know, showing people that I can, I, mean, I just got back from a trip 
from Turkey, right? And, and when I was at the airport, I was like, should I turn on my roaming, which I know I have unlimited data in Singapore, so I could turn on my roaming and I'll have unlimited data there. I think that cost me 50 sing or something for a month. And then normally I'll look for a SIM card and all like the three or four counters in Turkey, it was like almost that same amount of money for eight gigabytes. Right. <laughs> so I knew it wasn't going to give me a whole month because no. I just used data like mad. And, right. and plus I'll, I'll turn on my thing as a Wi-Fi hotspot for the family and, you know, the easier than getting everybody SIMs. And right, right. so I just turned on my, you know, okay, my M1 roaming, which is unlimited data for 50 bucks. But we all know I can go to Thailand and what, for like a hundred and, I think 199 baht when I land, I have True's 20 gigabyte package or something. Yes. Like it's insane. So if you look at some of the stuff in Thailand, you know, and the monetization models, you know, the people have the credit cards. It's, it's, you know, you always kind of scratch your head as to why aren't some aspects of this ecosystem literally booming? Um, you know, and I don't have an easy answer. I, I, but I'm with you that it could be better. So we'll keep trying. When are you going to be here? I'll let you go in a second. So we'll be here, be? yeah. So we'll be there July 18 for the event. And you just go to alpha.seedplus.com or just Google Project Alpha. And the one thing I want to tell everybody is everybody's welcome. You don't have to want to be in the program to enjoy the event and to you know come and rub shoulders with people and learn about this ecosystem. You know, that's the point of this because we know some people will like, well, I don't think I'm, I don't have my startups not ready. Or I'm actually at a corporate. It's okay. We, we want to pack the house. We have some great speakers. All that information is online. We'll have a nice break. We'll have food and refreshments. Uh, plenty of opportunity to hang out and chat. So, you know, so everybody's welcome. So, I'll be there. Yeah. So you'll be there and maybe we can chat some more live and you're there. You know, just come and hang out if you want to have fun and chat with people and maybe just learn about what you might want to do. And, that, and that's the main thing I want to say because I think some people email us with, I'm not ready to submit or I don't have a startup. Can I still come? Yes. The, the point is to bring everybody so we can have great conversation. Good stuff. Okay, Michael. That sounds awesome. And thank you, Michael. So, and then we'll see you there, right? Absolutely. You're housing out of there, so I'll run into you automatically, I guess. Yeah, I mean, even if so, I'm, I'm sitting in True Digital Park right now, as I said at the beginning, and I'm here, I'd say, three or four times a week. And when I'm here, I'm here all day. So I'll be here for that as well. Yeah, so maybe we try to hook up on the morning of the 18th. Perfect.